Come, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a time that we can come together again to read your word, to learn from your word, to hear from you, Lord. Lord Jesus, we declare your name once more. There's no other name that's higher than your name. You are the King of kings and you are the Lord of lords. Will you reveal yourself afresh to all of us this evening? Holy Spirit, will you speak to all of us so that we can learn and that we can respond appropriately? And so we bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 to 34. If you have been journeying with us, you now know that we are in a second group of miracles, of power demonstration of the kingdom. After the teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus comes down and he begins to demonstrate the authority he has as the king. Not only that, he brings his disciples on the way and he trains them. And that's what discipling is all about. It's not done in a classroom. It is also done along the road and they are watching him and they are learning along the way. Jesus has already dealt with sickness and disease. The last time we came, we heard that or we read that he dealt with the winds and the waves. And tonight, tonight's teaching, we find that he now deals with demons. Now, what can we learn from this account that we will read in a while? Interestingly, there, there are quite a few lessons we can learn from demons. And I'm serious about that. I was very tempted to entitle this message, Learning from Demons. I, I thought there might have been more people wanting to come, you know, how to learn from demons. But then again, it might just offend quite a few people. So I thought, okay, better stay safe a little bit. And so we entitled it, What Demons Know. So let's read the passage and very quickly to get into what we can learn from this account. Matthew chapter 8, reading from verse 28. When he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men, coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a good way off from them, there was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, Permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine. And suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. And those who kept them fled, and they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. In the Gospel of Matthew, we have just read this passage. If you want a parallel, you will find it in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 17. And also Luke chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. We will refer to these parallel passages um, a little bit through this entire teaching so that we get a different perspective or another aspect of what this account is all about. But first, as we look at this passage and compare it with the others, before we cast out demons, I want to cast out two issues and get it out of the way. 
first thing is we notice that there are two different names mentioned. One is in Matthew, and in Mark and Luke is another name, a city name. In Matthew, this name Gergesa is mentioned. The other one is Gadara. Question is, which city is the correct one? And some skeptics, when they read the Gospels or read the Bible, they will say, oh, you see, so there are two different cities. How can you say then that the Bible is correct and so on? So I think if that's in your mind, it might be just good to touch on this one issue and then the second one later. Let's look at the map, and I've given this to you. You can Google this. If you're listening in and you can't get to see this map, don't worry. You can find many of these maps um, surrounding, especially the region surrounding the Sea of Galilee, and you can look it up yourself. Gergesa is mentioned by Matthew. And if you look into the Old Testament in the Septuagint, you also find this name, Gergesa, um, described uh, in terms of its people. Remember, God says to Abraham that you're going to go into this land. There will be the Jebusites, the Parasites, and all the sites. And one of the sites would be the Gegra sites. And very likely, it could refer to the people in this region. Not only in Genesis you find it, you find it in Deuteronomy. Later on, even in the book of Joshua, you do a search, you'll find the Gegersites down there. So very likely, these were the people in this area of Gergesa. Now, the other name is Gadara, and that's mentioned by Mark and Luke. You do a Bible search, you'll find again that this is actually a fortified capital of Perea, and it's in the region east of the Jordan River. It is situated in or near the range of the mountains bordering the eastern shore of uh, the Sea of Galilee and the Valley of the Jordan. So here you have two names now, and there are two different locations. Which one is the correct one? I believe Matthew or Mark's objective was really just to identify the region that we are talking about. In other words, it's not referring to the place in Israel at that point, not Judea, but the region that is across, and they call it the Decapolis. That's a Gentile area with a very, very large Jewish population. And we know it's Gentile because we have this description of swine or hogs or pigs. Now, to the Jews, these are unclean animals. It's not a typical Jewish occupation. So this is really Gentile territory, but you have Jews living in this area. Now, Gergesa is also included or involved in a larger capital region of Gadara. And so once again, it's in the same locale. The objective was just to identify the region. It's like today if I tell you, if I report something that takes place in Serangoon North and you might report something that takes place in Marine Parade GRC, it's the same thing, right? Serangoon North is actually within Marine Parade GRC, thanks to our government that drew up all these lines, right? So it's, it's not Serangoon versus Marine Parade huh? or Marine Parade versus Serangoon. It's the same locale, per se. Huh? And either way, Oregon, who is a third century theologian and early church father, says that there's a city called Gergesa. It stood on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. And you see this mountain range over there. And it is very steep there, and that precipice is still being pointed out where the swine would have rushed over this cliff and fallen into the Sea of Galilee. 
So very likely we can surmise, we can conclude, it is Gergesa that we are talking about. And even if it's Gadara, it doesn't hurt the entire story at all, right? It does not affect the account. Just that the swine would have to run a lot further to the Sea of Galilee. <laughs> right? It's quite a way. And the, the Bible does say a, 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 some way, right? A, a, some distance away. So I, I don't know, okay? The point is, don't be, don't be distracted by these details and miss who Jesus is and what this story is about. Don't get tripped by these little things. So that's one issue out of the way. The second issue is this. Uh, was there one demoniac or were there two? Right? Uh, Matthew describes that there were two demon-possessed men. Mark says that there was one. It perhaps would have been like a Matthean or a Matthew-type characteristic. He was writing to a Jewish audience. And if you understand the Jewish law, there's a requirement that you must provide at least two or three witnesses. So just mentioning one demoniac would not have been enough. It probably would have been two. And because it's two, it would fit well into the narrative and it would appeal to an audience uh, who is Jewish to say we're not getting a testimony of one person. There were really two down there and it, uh, it fulfills the requirement of a Jewish law. At the same time, another example, remember, Mark describes a blind man called Bartimaeus. But Matthew describes two blind men. So is it one blind man or is it two blind men? Doesn't really hurt the story once again. Huh? So again, if you come from a journalistic background, perhaps Mark was simply focusing on the more prominent character. It could have been one, it could have been two, maybe it could have been three. It makes no difference. It does not hurt the story at all. For example, a reporter who interviews one survivor of a mass uh, shooting, for example, right? Uh, and, and does that mean that there were no other survivors, right? Another newspaper could have reported with three survivor interviews. So does it mean it's just one survivor or is it three or does it conflict? doesn't matter, right? The point is there was a mass shooting. So don't miss, again, the point of what the writers are trying to convey. It does not affect the story at all. So I want to get these two points out of the way in case it sort of bugs you. Huh? It's like, yeah, how can the Bible not be consistent in this kind of thing? And people get stumbled over stuff like that. Don't worry about it. The story is not affected. So now we can come to the main point, what demons know. Uh, my time is limited, and I do have nine points to throw at you. And I'll go as quickly as I can. The first point would take a little bit more time because we want to lay some foundation there, and later on, we will build on that. So if you're taking notes, just make sure you have point one, point two, all the way through to point nine. So if you're ready, let's start with point number one. Now, this is going to be really, really a big point. Number one, demons are real. Say amen. Do you believe? Demons are real. The Bible says so. We've just read this. Demons are real. I just want to make this point because today, people doubt it. People are questioning it. We are living in a rather secular environment. We are living in a rather scientific age that sometimes 
may not be able to, inverted commas, prove uh, demonic activity as we would understand it. Some would read this and say, oh, they are just fables, they are tales. You know? We watch all the movies and about demons. and Not that I watch the movies about demons, by the way. There are so many movies, I should rephrase that. There are so many movies about demons, many times we get desensitized. Uh, and we may say, is it real? So point number one, demons are real. The spiritual realm is real. If you believe in God, you have to know that there are demons. Let's look at this word, demon possession. Demon possession is broadly, uh, was already, has already been broadly mentioned by Matthew in chapter 4, 24 and 8, 16. He broadly just says that Jesus cast out demons from people who were demon-possessed. This is the very first account where we get details. We actually find out a little bit more about what would have happened in a case of uh, demon casting out of people who are possessed. The word to be demonized is really a transliteration directly from the Greek. And the term simply means to be under the power or to be under the influence of a demon. That's all it means, literally. So when we use the word demon-possessed, Sometimes the word possess gives us a wrong connotation of what possession really is. It just means that this person is under the power, uh, a very strong power of this demon. The word demon in English is derived from the Greek daimon. Now ladies, I'm sorry, it sounds like diamond. And so maybe uh, diamonds are demonic. Uh, sorry to uh, disappoint you there. Guys, you can now we heave a big sigh of relief. Daimon, D-A-I-M-O-N, and we have the English word demon. Now, interestingly, the word daimon is just translated gods. It's not translated demon. To the Greeks, they, they considered uh, the word daimon gods, just that these are not the good gods, these are the strange gods, the weird gods, the, the not-so-nice guys. So if you're watching superhero like Thor or Hercules or some of these Zeus kind of Greek mythology, those are the theos, the, the good gods. The good gods, they call theos. The not-so-good gods, the bad guys, they, they call daimon. So these are used synonymously. Demons would be synonymous with unclean spirits or evil spirits. Every time you, you look at these terms, you can interchange them. And these are all real all in the spiritual realm. But who are these? Who are these? We can again conclude that in the Bible, it is referring to Satan and his fallen angels. Now, in the passage, Luke chapter 10, verse 17, remember Jesus sent out his disciples two by two, 70 or 72, depending on which translations. And they came back and they rejoiced and they were, they were shouting, they were declaring, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus immediately then said to them, I saw Satan fall. Right? Now, the disciples were rejoicing about how the demons were subject to them in the name of Jesus. And Jesus immediately linked the demons with Satan. And he calls them the power of the enemy. And I've given you authority over this power. So very clearly, demons refer to Satan and his entire entourage of fallen angels. The demonic realm is also referred to as a kingdom. This is real. It's a kingdom and they are, they are organized. They, are, they, they have hierarchy. 
Satan is therefore the king of this kingdom of darkness. Friends, you cannot believe in the kingdom of God and not understand the kingdom of darkness. So Christians, we must understand we are in a battle. It's one kingdom versus another kingdom. We are at war. Okay, it's not something for us just to sit back and relax at this point in time. The fight goes on. We have victory, but the fight continues. So we know in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we are told we do not wrestle against people, flesh and blood, but we are wrestling against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Now how real is this? Demons are real. The spiritual realm is real. Whether you have experienced it directly or not makes no difference. It is real. It is a kingdom. And there's another name that Satan goes by. It's Beelzebub. Oh, Beelzebub. He's referred to as the prince of the ruler of demons. Now, once you know this, then you know that the demons take on the nature and the purpose of their king, Satan. And they will carry out all these things. Jesus even openly refers to Satan with his kingdom, saying a kingdom will be divided if they start to go against themselves. So Jesus recognizes it. It's one kingdom versus another kingdom. Demons are real. I hope you are convinced. Now these guys, where do you normally find them? You will not usually find them wandering in desolate places, lonely places, obscure places. The Bible records that they hang around tombs, graveyards, cemeteries. They are in the mountainous regions. Why? The mountain will be a lonely place, an open place, a dry place. Mountains are also places of worship. That's why in the Old Testament, you'll find that uh, when they tear down things, when they go up to the high places, for what reason? Idolatry, idolatrous worship. Who are they worshipping? Not just wood and stone, they are worshipping demons. These are the mountainous regions. Um, it's recorded that they will be in wilderness areas, in desert places. Somehow, they are looking for dry places. I don't know why, maybe they can't swim. I have no idea. But it's always recorded like they don't like water. I don't know. But it's about wandering in these desolate places. And because they are wandering, they, are, they seek a dwelling place. Does that line sound familiar to you? They seek a dwelling place. They, the spirits themselves, if they don't find it in men, men, then they will find it in the animals. Now compare with what we understand as God seeking to dwell and to tabernacle with man. You see, what God desires as the truth and as the correct model, the enemy and the demons and, and the spiritual realm would counterfeit and they also need the same thing because they're all, all spirits. But their purpose when they dwell within the man or the animals, the purpose is that of destruction as opposed to God's purpose of shalom, of restoration and of relationship. Demons are real. As we look at this whole passage, I know one question would always come up and I want to address that very simply under this first point. Can Christians be possessed by demons? 
This is an FAQ. Okay? There are differing views. Let me just say this very openly to you. There are differing views. One camp says, no, you can't be possessed by demons. Why? Because you are already God's possession. You are already the temple of the Holy Spirit. And in the New Testament, we don't see any biblical basis to directly uh, say that a believer who has the Holy Spirit can have a demon or be possessed by demons. Then again, there's the end of the camp that says, yes, you can. And these usually argue from experience and they've observed that there are Christians there in the church manifesting with demons coming out. Um, they apply what they call the squatter principle. Have you heard this before? In other words, you are owned by God now. You are God's possession, but there are squatters on the land in, inside this possession. They have not been evicted yet. Uh, so we still, although you belong to God, these guys are illegal uh, stayers. They have overstayed their time and place. And so you need to kick them out, and that's why you need to deliver them. Well, depending on where you come from, uh, you will hold either one of these views or somewhere in between. But let me just quickly say that discernment is needed to distinguish between what we understand as demon possession and demon oppression. There are two different things down here, right? Sometimes what is described as possession is really a case of severe demonic oppression. It's just very, very severe, just being oppressed you're not really indwelled by a demon. There are other questions also you need to discern. The person that we say is a Christian, was this person, is this person really a believer? Or maybe they have not believed yet. They're just carrying a Christian label. Okay? Now, whatever it is, you can still argue, you can still discuss about that. But there are many, many Christians, I think that's um, a concern today, they presume nothing will happen to them or they are clueless about the dangers of the spiritual realm. So my point to you here is that demons are real, but there are many Christians who are taking things for granted because they think nothing is going to happen to them. Now what do they do then? Then they persist in sin. They continue to dabble in the occult. Because they tell themselves, I'm a Christian, what? nothing's going to happen to me. You see that? And so they take it very, very lightly. They play with Ouija boards, for example. They get involved in uh, yoga. And today yoga is so popular all over the place. Uh, Christians are justifying and saying that it is fine to be uh, practicing yoga without realizing that yoga, the principle behind yoga is to be yoked with a cosmic force to be aligned. Oh man, they are talking about being aligned. Now we are talking about being aligned. Amen, right? We are talking about being aligned to our king. But do you know in yogic practice, they are being aligned with a force and the kundalini spirit, which is the, the serpent spirit. And some Christians will say, oh no, I don't practice it. I, I just do the exercises. Can I tell you? We have experience where we have seen someone saying that. And the person, as we minister, moves and like a snake sitting on that chair while we are talking to this person. Christian, 
How do you explain that? You see this? So don't, don't play play. Huh? Okay, they consult mediums. They're consulting um, fortune tellers and so on. So they're new age practices. Today in the schools, they are practicing mindfulness. In the companies, if you're very stressed, your boss could, because of human resource trying to help you to be unstressed or de-stressed, they may bring in mindfulness practices. Now, do you know all those things are steeped in other religious beliefs? Does a Christian do it? You see, you need to know what the spiritual realm is all about. And so when you do these things, you, you open up a very big door. And some of you may listening in may be wondering, oh, but the person involved, that I know is involved, but he's okay, what? but she's okay. Look, the enemy does not play fair. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't attack everyone, right? If he attacks everyone, then you have a case study. But if he picks some to whack and some not to whack, then you're confused. You don't know which one works and which one doesn't happen. And so you think everything is okay. Now, Paul warned the church in Corinth, flee from idolatry. Why? It's not the wooden figure. It's the demon behind the wooden figure. Flee idolatry. If you're idolatrous about money, it's not the money, it's the spirit behind the money. Do you understand? that The spiritual realm is real. He says, I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. Can man? I thought we Christians, what? Nothing will happen to us, what? Now, if really nothing, then why is Paul warning the church in Corinth? Now, remember, these are spirit-filled, tongue-speaking charismatics in the church of Corinth. They come short of no spiritual gift. And then Paul tells them, you better watch yourself. You better be careful. I don't care how loud you speak in tongues. I don't care how high you jump. Right? Don't play with these spirits. So the key principle in this for Christians is, if you pursue holiness and the things of the kingdom, then you, you don't have to worry that much about oppressions and, and possessions. You understand? Uh, don't make it your case study. Oh, can I be possessed? Can I be oppressed? Now learn that, fine. But that's not your focus. Your focus is to chase after Jesus. Okay? If you chase after Jesus and the demon wants to chase you, you have no problem. Yeah? So that's the key. I, because I'm, I'm saying just because you love Jesus and you serve Jesus does not exempt you from spiritual attacks. They will come after you. Yes, that's par for the course. Amen? And you have to be prepared for that. But don't open the door. Point number one. I'm doing really good for time, am I not? Point number one. Demons are real. Point number two. Demons are dangerous. Demons are dangerous. Please don't watch your cartoons and your movies and think that they are good witch and bad witch. All witches are witches. Good ghosts and bad ghosts. Good demons and bad demons. I mean like, duh. Demons are demons. Hello. Can, can you understand? But you're, if you're watching all these Hollywood stuff, and not reading your Bible, and not understanding, then you're going to be deceived big time. Demons are dangerous. They are very strong. 
They're very powerful. They're very dangerous. Matthew 8, 28. The two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, they were exceedingly fierce. It's not the men. It's the demons. No one can pass that way. Mark says that no one could bind him. You can't stop this guy. Have you seen deliverance uh, cases before? Right? They're down the floor. You need four or five men to hold this woman down. They are very dangerous, guys. Don't play with these people. Chains cannot even lock them up. Right? They, they pull these things apart. And we're not talking about the Incredible Hulk. No one could tame him. Demons are dangerous. He's crying out and they are cutting himself with stones. You see, the purpose of these demons, they oppose God's creation. They are there to destroy. The mode of operation is through lies, through deception, through sickness. Not all sickness is demonic. Through death and through destruction. Sickness can come in the form of physical, some mental. And so in the Bible, there's a word that talks about lunatics, that they are affected by the lunar phases. That's where you get that word. But they are also seen as being possessed by demons. Gender, sexual confusion. I'm telling you, this is demonic. Suicide. People taking their own lives. Murder. Whether in the form of cold-blooded killings, abortion, genocides, mass shootings, bombings that we see, they are demonic. There is an influence that is there. Sometimes you, you read the stories and you just can't understand how a person could do something like that. It's demonic. And it's not just the one who is possessed that is hurt. Relationships around this person are also hurt. Demons are dangerous. Number one, demons are real. Number two, demons are dangerous. After knowing all these things, doesn't it make you wonder why Christians want to have anything to do with Halloween? Does it make you wonder? Why they want to dress up as demons, witches, ghosts, uh, bloody things? Why would the, uh, Christians love to go and watch horror movies and come out and say, oh, you're so scary? <laughs> Why do we want to look at all these things? It boggles me, do you understand? And they think, no, la, nothing, la, it's just a show. We are being desensitized. This is what I'm saying. Demons are real and demons are dangerous. Point number three, demons know Jesus. Say Hallelujah. Demons know Jesus. The demons were able to identify Jesus. The moment they come out, they saw him, and it says, you, Jesus of Nazareth. And not only that, Jesus of Nazareth could be just, you know, uh, oh, hello, you know, you are John of Alkang. Uh, so it could be just a person, right? You just know that person. No, 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 they didn't stop there. Son of God. The people didn't know this person was the Son of God. The demons knew Jesus. They were able to identify. Not only that, the Holy One of God, the Christ, the Son of God, they were able to identify Jesus. The demons knew Jesus. Now when they identified Him, this is how well they knew Him. 
the demons worshipped Jesus. Are you surprised to hear that? He said, wait, are you sure the, the, the demons worship Jesus? Well, Mark chapter 5, verse 6. When this demon-possessed man saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he worshipped Jesus. Now, let me ask you a question. Was it the man who worshipped Jesus or was it the demons who worshipped Jesus? You go and think about that one, right? Huh? Okay, huh? this guy who can't even control himself suddenly runs to Jesus and worships Jesus. I can't even get Christians to do that. Am I correct? Am I, am I saying something here that maybe the first time you're hearing this? Well, you can still say the man had some presence of mind to run to Jesus and bowed his knee. But I know the Bible says in Philippians 2, chapter 10 and 11, that at the name of Jesus, every knee must bow. Of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you come from. Every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. Then even demons must bow and worship Him whether willingly or not. See, the demons know Jesus. They worship. They just have to fall prostrate because they, there's nothing else they can do. And the demons begged. They, they must know something, man, guys. See, look at it. They begged. And they asked Jesus, if you cast us out, and look at the Greek tense, it's a first class conditional tense, which means it's not if you cast us out. They were really saying, uh, when you cast us out. It's not an if. They knew. I'm going to get kicked out already, you know. When you cast us out, would you permit us to go? They knew that they, they, they were going to be kicked out, and they know something very clearly. They have no say in the matter. And so they requested. You know how desperate they were? In Mark chapter 5, verse 7, this guy, actually a thousand of them because he was called Legion, remember? Right? This guy, maybe the, the one out of the entire Legion, said, I implore you, Jesus, by God. They appealed to God to tell Jesus not to torment me. Because they know that if they get tormented, it's going to be a big time problem for them. They know Jesus. They were that desperate. Demons know Jesus. I have a question for us. Do we? Demons know Jesus. Do we? And they're on the wrong side, man. But we are on the right side, I know. But do we really know the Jesus we worship? Do we know our King for who He really is? Or are we playing games? This is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. We say we worship Him. And how do we do that? Point number four, demons have faith. Praise the Lord. <laughs> James chapter 2, verses 19. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe. So you think you have faith? The demons also have faith. So it's one thing to know, it's another thing to believe. And these guys believe that what God says He will do to them, He will do. And that's why they tremble. They take God at His word. And my question for us again is, do we? 
We say we believe in Jesus, right? Now, James was using this one phrase almost sarcastically to tell the believers, hello, you say you believe, huh? I'm not seeing anything come out of your belief. At least the demons, when they say they believe, uh, they know how to shake in their pants. They know something that we, we don't fully understand. It's one thing to believe, it's another to, to respond rightly after what we say that we believe. How do we respond? The demons know if I get tormented, oh, it's, it's bad news, man. And God is going to torment me. Now, we Christians read the Bible and we don't heed any warning. We love the blessings, but we, the warnings we don't underline. We love the blessings and we post these on Instagram and Facebook, but the warnings are not so nice. Not politically correct. Upset people. So do we believe or don't we believe? Or we just ignore the tough parts? See, something is there that we can learn from the demons. The demons have faith. And if we say we have faith, how do we then respond? Point number five, demons are obedient. Surprise, surprise. Have you heard a message like this before? (laughs) Demons are obedient. This sounds really crazy. But if Jesus asks something, these guys have to answer. What's your name? Legion. I mean, demons are there to lie, right? How do you know they're telling the truth? But at the name of Jesus, hello, tell me your name. Legion. I mean, you just can't run away from it. I better obey. There's no way I can escape this one. So what's your name? Legion. Jesus says, go. And they went. See, what Jesus says goes. They, they cannot cross the line if Jesus doesn't allow them to cross the line. And so they ask, can you permit us? We're going to go into the, the, the pigs. But only if, if it's okay with you. And if Jesus had said no, it would, be, would have been no. Right? And when Jesus says go, it wasn't a command. I love the Greek. The Greek was actually you may. How cool is that? Right? When you cast us out, would you permit us to go into the herd of swine? And Jesus says, you may. (laughs) I mean, how cool is our king? And they have to stop when Jesus tells them to stop. They must leave when Jesus tells them to leave. That's called authority. And we have that same authority in Jesus' name. Do you realize that? That when we speak in the name of Jesus, the demons must Obey, not us, but Jesus. But we must ask a question also as we have already asked this question over and over again. Do we obey as the demons do? Or are demons more obedient than us? (laughs) Who wants to say ouch to that one? Right? Demons are obedient. Point number six. Demons know... Or they understand the times. They don't know everything, but at least they understand it, right? They understand the times. Mark chapter 8, verse 29. Suddenly they cried out saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? So when they saw Jesus, they shouted, What have we to do with you? And that really literally translates to, Can you, can you don't come and bother me? 
Why have you come to disturb us? You, you shouldn't even be here yet. Hello. There is a time, I know, but, but not yet. We are not due to be tormented yet. It's like you telling your children, we've got to go home now. No, not yet. Five more minutes. Let me play some more. And so the demons were saying the same thing to Jesus. Not yet. It's, it's not time. Have you come to torment us before the Kairos? And the Kairos is an, is an appointed time. There is a time that's coming, we know. But this is not yet. This is before the Kairos. And I'm wondering if God has a sense of humor. Do you know that the word swine, pig, hog, the Greek is the Kairos. Pig is Kairos. So imagine this in Greek, the demons who have been saying this. It's not the Kairos. Can I go to the Kairos? But what is that appointed time? It will be at the end of the age. Demons will be imprisoned. Judgment will be passed. And they will be tormented. Now in Luke chapter 8, verse 31, the parallel, they begged Jesus that He would not command them to go out into the abyss. So they were more specific. It's not just cast us out. They're saying, don't cast us out and throw us into the abyss. Because not yet. That's not our time yet. The abyss is uh, an abode for the dead. It's like a holding place for the dead. In Revelation 20, it's called the bottomless pit. So if you know the book of Revelation, we see it often mentioned. It's a bottomless pit. It's a place of confinement. And finally, when Jesus establishes His kingdom 1,000 years, Satan will be bound in this abyss. But after 1,000 years, it's not permanent, He will be released from this place. So the abyss is different from the judgment time, which is the lake of fire. That's a different place. So there's a lake of fire and brimstone, and Jesus preaches about this in Matthew 25, verse 41. He says that there will be an everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. These are the guys. So the demons know that it's going to be a time up. So when you look at this point, that they understand the times, we learn something from them about where the kingdom has arrived, Remember, the kingdom is at hand. The king has made his appearance. The rule and the reign of God is announced and is declared. And men, they are invited to accept this king so that they can be saved into his kingdom. At the same time, demons are given notice. Notice served already. King has come already. Okay, So the kingdom has come and yet not fully, not yet. Because the time is not the kairos. It's not yet still. Demonic activity continues. It's not ended yet. The time is not yet. Demons can be cast out, but they're not necessarily bound yet. You can argue with me on that one, yeah? Demons are cast out, but they're not destroyed yet. So although they went into the swine, into the pigs, the pigs ran over the cliff, the pigs drowned. We are not certain whether the demons drowned with the pigs. Those poor poor guys, I mean, they deserve it. But they would have then been pushed out of these pigs again. And they would still be wandering anyway. Satan and his demons know that their time is short. 
Revelations chapter 12, verse 12. The devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows he has a short time and is getting shorter. And again, as we look at this point, friends, what we can learn from demons, the question we must ask is, do we know and do we understand the times? Do we know and do we understand the times? Let's learn from these guys. And the shorter it is, the more desperate they are, the more hell they are going to wreak havoc in the people. And that's why you see morality sliding like crazy. You see problems having, happening all over the place. We see crimes, we see deaths, we see bombings that like they've never happened before. The Christians, do they know these times or not? Or we are in la-la land. Point number seven. Demons are no match for the king. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah for this one. Demons are no match for the king. We must remind Christians, believers, that we mustn't be fooled to think that although God is against Satan and Satan is against God, they are not to be treated as equals. There's no equal. There's no God like our God. But every time we speak, we think, you know, they are they are pitted against each other, each with the same strength. No, there's no other. The Satan and his demons may be powerful, but they are no match, absolutely no match for Jesus and his kingdom. And as we have been journeying through the book of Matthew, we've seen the, the authority of the kingdom demonstrated by the king himself. Matthew records the Messiah's authority over sickness, over disease, over natural elements, and now this record is of Jesus having authority over the spiritual realm also. And demons have to bow to Him. They must obey. And later we will come to a section where this same power and authority is given to those who align with the King, who align with the kingdom and who move on kingdom assignments. And we have the same power. We are ambassadors of the kingdom. And we are not to be afraid of the demons. In fact, the demons are afraid of us. Because we carry the name of Jesus and you have to know it. But if you don't know who you are in Christ, you will always be running away from the demons and thinking that we are of no match to them. But in Christ, you have the same power, you have the same authority. And it's given to us, not just for the casting out of demons just for fun. No, the purpose is to set captives free. It's not a plaything where we just cast demons out. And No, it's about saving lives. It's about rescuing people. They are trapped in the kingdom of darkness. There's no way they can save themselves. They need Jesus. And you'll need some of us to get into some of those territories to help them and to declare the king and his kingdom. And until you come face to face with an encounter like this, you don't understand the magnitude. You don't understand the needs that are out there. If you don't see people who are trapped in some of these things, to us, this may be just another fairy tale. It's just another Bible story. Or maybe I should just pray that, you know, we, we, we should at least have some personal uh, experience. Who says Amen. Until I came face to face with a spiritual situation myself, it wasn't real for me. And that's why you need to get on assignment. You need to move on some of these things. And then when you encounter it, you realize you are helpless, but in Christ, you are victorious. The demons are no match for the king and his 
kingdom. That's point number seven. Let's go to point number eight. Demon casters are not always appreciated. Praise the Lord again. Matthew chapter 8, verse 33. Those who kept the sowing, these farmers, they fled. They went to the city and told everything and what had happened to these men. They all came out to Jesus, and when they saw him, they said, please go away. You would have thought they would be excited. We've just saved these two guys. Oh, now they don't have to live amongst the tombs anymore. They can wear some clothes. No. Jesus, go home. Mind your own business. We were doing good before you came to our town. Now, I put on some creative imagination, sanctified, of course. I realized why they were so upset. The pig farmers lost their business. And they cannot claim insurance because it was literally an act of God. <laughs> they lost their business overnight. They don't know what to do already. So they're very unhappy. It's like, Jesus, please, okay, you've caused me enough trouble. I've lost everything. Now, not only them, 2,000 pigs. The entire city and the region lost their pork supply. <laughs> Price of pork chops and bakwan went up. I mean, you know what happens with durian, right? Imagine with the pigs. The animal activists protested the death of pigs. How can you be so unkind to animals? Who cares about those two who are living in the tombs? Forget about them. Those 2,000 pigs that died, oh dear, we've got to give them a proper burial. You see, you're looking at all kinds of other things other than what is important. It, does, it didn't matter that the two lives were set free. Is this the only account in the Bible? No. You read the book of Acts in Philippi, Paul delivers a slave girl from a spirit of divination. Their masters were upset because they used this girl for fortune-telling to make money. Now you deliver this lady, and she's okay now. She can't help anyone anything. They've lost their business. Paul and Silas arrested, and they were flogged. In the city of Ephesus, Acts chapter 19, many people believe in Jesus. But what happened? The worship of Diana, the, the big temple of Diana, was affected. This guy called Demetrius, he rallies the silversmith guild or the union. And to say, look, because of this Jesus, guys, no one is buying idols now. What are we going to do with all these things? So they protested against Paul and his entire team. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 24, the Pharisees, the spiritual religious authorities, the establishment, you would think that they would be thrilled to bits. They called Jesus Beelzebub. They're not happy with him. Because suddenly everyone was looking at Jesus and no longer coming to them for the things. And maybe they lost some church members. So religious establishments, they don't want to understand miracles, deliverances. You know, they just want to keep their status quo. And the point is this. Not everyone appreciates the good news of the kingdom. This is almost crazy for us to understand, right? Or even for us to mention. But not everyone appreciates the good news of the kingdom because they're happy to remain as they are. They don't want Jesus to rock the boat. And so if they ran Jesus out of town do you think they might run you out of town? Demon casters are not always appreciated, but you do what you need to do because we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ and His kingdom. Point number nine. Praise the Lord, we got to point nine. 
from demonized to deputized. The ex-demoniac or the next demoniacs, they receive their kingdom assignments. Now, this is recorded not in Matthew, it's recorded in Luke. Luke chapter 8, verse 38. Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your own house, tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. And I look at this passage over and over again, and truly, you know, this guy, he expressed a desire to follow Jesus. How, how wonderful would that be, right? But Jesus sends him away. And I believe there's a time to follow, to learn, and to sit at his feet. And I think maybe Jesus would want to send some of us away. <laughs> right? He's not rejecting this guy. Huh? He's just saying, look, you don't have to follow me. You were once demonized, now you are deputized. Now, I, I've got to get out of this place because they don't want me here. But you are part of this place, so I'm leaving you in charge now. Well, how's that for a kingdom assignment, man? It's big time, you know, right? From demonized to deputized. And we say, wait, hang on, hang on. No training, what's the curriculum? Uh, don't you think he needs to go through some Bible school, some school of ministry, and then later on, you know, go through this? No, no, Jesus said, you go home and you tell what great things God has done for you. He goes out and he tells not what great things God has done, what great things Jesus has done. God and Jesus say, right? What has Jesus done for you? What has Jesus done for you? No need to go to Bible school. That's enough. What has Jesus done for you? You're deputized. We can close in prayer now. This guy got sent back to his area of operation. Where? Your own house. Wait, 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 wait. We're gonna, I want to go this. I want to go. I want to do this. I don't know where. Your own house. There are at least two households. If we say one demoniac, one household. Two demoniacs, two households. Start with the small things. Be faithful where God places you. Tell of what good things and great things God has done for you. But he didn't stay in his own house. He proclaimed throughout the whole city. That's how crazy and how radical he became. Possible challenge and opposition? Definitely so. The region just chased Jesus out. His family may not accept him or them. Maybe they're the next one to be persecuted. The Bible doesn't record this. We don't know. The point is, if God has done something great for you, you are ready to be deputized. You're in charge now. That region is given over to you. So nine points, my friends. What demons know? Have we learned something from demons? Quite a lot of lessons huh, that we have learned from these guys, right? So we've got to say thank you to them at least. Now they're there for a purpose. What the enemy intended for evil, God can turn it around for good. And so we learn from them. So let's summarize. Jesus is the King of Kings. He has all power, all authority. Physical, spiritual, natural, supernatural. We have the same power and authority in the name of Jesus. Demons are defeated enemies. We do not have to be afraid of them at all. 
don't give the devil and his demons so much credit. Many times we want to blame the demons or the devil to say, uh, oh, it's their fault, it is this and that. My advice for us is always, would we focus and see where our weakness might be, where our shortcomings might be, where we may have been misaligned, you know, and come back to the Lord for Him to help us by His grace. You see, many times the demons don't even have to do anything. They don't have to lift a finger because we are already not walking right with God. All they need to do is to play upon those weaknesses. Just throw in a few more things, just encourage you in that way and you continue to be misaligned. And that's all. They don't even have to oppress you. So don't give them so much credit. They're defeated. But if we work on our lives by His grace, and if they then come and disturb us, at least they have good reason to do that. And we will continue to declare the name of Jesus. And finally, if you have experienced the good news of the King and His kingdom, get aligned because you are now ready to move on kingdom assignment. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we stand in awe of You. You are our King and You are our God. And all power and all authority is given over to You. Lord, we thank you that you give the same to those who believe you, who follow you, and who are willing to move out on kingdom assignment for your name and for your purposes. Lord, thank you for the lessons that we have learned, Lord. We don't claim to know everything. We don't claim, Lord, that we uh, have every aspect covered. But Lord, at least we know one thing. You are king and the demons are defeated. And so, Lord, we don't run from them. But Lord, we stand firm and they must flee from us. But we must draw close to you that you will draw close to us also. And so be with us, Lord, and lead us and guide us that as we move on, we will be confident, bold in the name of Jesus. For your name and for your purpose and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.